Actually, it didn't go that way at all. Stacy said, I'm not doing this unless there's money in the budget for counseling. So we start seeing a counselor, and I'm periodically meeting with the counselor, and we're just talking about life. And what has it been like to be a pastor for, I don't know how long it was then, maybe 15 years at that point. And um, one day in the counseling room, we're discussing why is it that in the context of our everyday married life, I almost always interpret Stacy's comments as criticism? Why is it that the filter that I receive, anything that's coming my way from her, almost always met with, whoa, 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 whoa? And the counselor looked at her and she said, you know, you've got a grown tree in front of you, but when he was a sapling, he learned a way of being human that was rather bent. And that's true of all of us. How do we grow up? How do we mature beyond the worst parts of our childhood. Childhood is the point of entree into the world, uh, and you and I know that, and we know that in moments of our own sense of being stuck, that we very often are doing what? We're playing the tapes of our childhood. I remember being in the third grade and the teacher calling me up to the board and shaming me by asking me to spell words that were too hard for me. And that story just runs through my brain over and over and over again. And you have your stories. And some of us have stories that are moments of just profound joy, but we lose those tapes somewhere, right? And we get fixated on the sad parts of our life story. Robert Farrar Capon was an Episcopal priest. Uh, he served churches up in the Northeast and he wrote a number of books, but one of the things that he says about being human is that God has made us so that we would live our lives in a very priestly way. And he put it this way, he said, the whole purpose of being human is that we would reflect God in the world by becoming an oblation, which is just a theological word that means offering. So when you and I meet each other, we would interact in such a way that we're offering ourselves up to the other. And through that exchange, you become more human and I become more human and we both grow up closer to, more likely reflecting God's image in us. That's not our experience because when we disconnected from God, we also offer things to one another that leave us pretty distorted. So here we are in a text that's very familiar to you and it's a text about children. It's famous. It's beautifully illustrated. You can, you know, if you Googled images, uh, you just Google images of Jesus blessing the children, things will pop up in your image box there. You'll see beautiful depictions of a Savior who just delighted in having little children around him. Jesus welcomes, he blesses. And I want to suggest that this text, even though it's very small and very, very familiar, that it's critical to our life with Jesus and our life with one another in his world, that only as we enter the truths that are taught here do we actually begin to grow up into a fuller, better, more beautiful expression of ourselves. I think my counselor those many years ago was mostly right. 
The patterns of sorrow born in childhood shape and warp the way we relate to one another in profound ways. But what Jesus offers us is new creation. The opportunity to re-enter a childlike relationship with God's own self. And that's what this text is teaching us. Three things. Jesus' welcome, his invitation, and Jesus' blessing. So first think about his welcome, verse 13, right? Imagine the scene. Think about this room, perhaps, and imagine Jesus in this room. You walk in, and you see Jesus seated there, and the people are just bringing their children to Jesus. They want him to touch them. He, they want them to sort of bless him. They, their children, they want the interaction between their kids, but they're the disciples, and the disciples are stern. You know, they're uptight grown-ups. And they're like, you know, no, stop. Get them out of here. Let Jesus get on with the real work of his kingdom. That's essentially the picture that is going on in this particular text at this particular moment. So despite the beauty of it that you see when you see the illustrations, the disciples are rebuking the people that are bringing their children. Now, it's fascinating. It's also profoundly disappointing because as Mark tells the story of Jesus just the chapter prior, in chapter 9, the disciples are having a discussion. They're worried about status. Who are our leaders? Who's at the top of the hierarchy and who's at the bottom, right? This is the conversation they're having with one another. And to illustrate what he intends to say, Jesus calls a child to the middle of the room and he says, look, it is only, right, in becoming small that you become great. Become like a child. If you want to be great, you have to become the least. The way up is the way down, some people put it. Greatness, in other words, isn't something that you achieve for yourself, at least not in God's kingdom. It's a gift given, and it's a gift that you're meant to offer to others as an oblation. The offering of your life to them on behalf of them, a gift received and a gift we are called upon to give away. So when you walked in this morning, who did you see? Who did you recognize? Who did you attend to? Mark 10 invites us to become a community that is aware of the least of these, the smallest, the youngest persons in the community, and to recognize that the work of God's kingdom is as much and maybe more about them than it is us. And so we see them. Jesus disrupts the poverty of the imagination that the disciples have for that which God is doing. Verse 14, he is indignant. Now, I don't think I would want to be in the room with Jesus indignant toward me, right? I mean, that's not what I want, but Jesus is indignant. In other words, he's angry with the disciples because they're not seeing persons he sees. Who are the least of these in your world? Maybe it is a child, but who are you tempted to disregard? to think of as unimportant, as relatively unimportant regarding God's kingdom that you need to push out of the way or ignore or just not see. 
Jesus was indignant, and he says, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. It's a beautiful statement. So imagine this moment again. God in human form, God in person in our world. And there are children playing at his feet. And there are children crawling on his lap. How does that upend the way you and I typically think of who God is? He delights in the presence of the least of these. And a church that reflects the likeness of God, the values of God's kingdom, is a church that regularly makes room for the youngest, the smallest, and anyone else that you and I are tempted to disregard as irrelevant. Who do you see? Who do you welcome? The welcome of Jesus. Now, second, this invitation of Jesus to become like children. Verse 15, truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Now, that's an interesting statement, right? That's a very black and white type of statement that we're hearing on Jesus' lips. He's upending the way the disciples are framing out life or the way they're framing out the work of the kingdom of God, or if we want to translate it into our world, the way we frame the work of the church, the way we think about mission. And here Jesus says, if you want inclusion in the kingdom that God is bringing, which, by the way, is simply a life put right, a world in which every member offers oblation one to another because they've received oblation from God himself. That's the world that Jesus is bringing. And he says simply this, if you want that world and you want to know that you're included in that world, that you're a part of that world, you must become like a child again. You must become like a little child. Now think about that for a minute. Children can be frustrating. I've experienced that. I have three kids, by the way. They're all in their 20s now, but I have three kids. And children can be very, very frustrating, right? I mean, have you ever had an experience of being frustrated with a kid? When I pastored a church in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, one, the, I think it was maybe our first day, and the church was a fantastic place, but there was a woman in that church who grew up a very, very strict and conservative Episcopalian, and so she had a thing about the communion table. And after church, my children were crawling under the communion table. And she became indignant with my wife. Because after all, it's a mother's job, right? To keep your kids where? In the chair, in the pew, silent, quiet, obeying, right? Seen but not heard. How do you relate to the least of these? Children can be very frustrating. They display selfishness sometimes. They smack their brother or their sister on the head. They steal toys, right? They don't want to share their toys. We've all had those experiences. What in the world is Jesus getting at? What is his point of this invitation? Is he saying, hey, be your selfish self? No, obviously not. What's the point? I wonder if Jesus' point <clears throat> isn't both a recognition of a child's innate vulnerability on the one hand 
and their dependence that leads to playful exploration and engagement of God's world, on the other hand. A child that's learned to be safe in the presence of a mom or a dad or a, a grandmother, a grandfather, an aunt, an uncle, learn to be safe in the presence of some caregiver, and so they feel the freedom to explore. Funny story, a friend of mine in Philadelphia told me the story once that happened when he was age 10, and he, his parents had read to him Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and he became convinced that he had figured out how Lucy got to the other side into Narnia. And he's 10 years old, and he's reading the book, and he's putting some pieces of the puzzle together. He says, you know, every time someone made it through to Narnia, it was raining outside. I think the key is rain. So the next rainy day, he goes into the guest room of their home. There's a little wardrobe there, and he says, it's raining. I'm going to try it. He crawls into the wardrobe, he's reaching through the coats or whatever's there, and, he, and bang, he hits the back of the wardrobe. And he's like, it's the back of the wardrobe, I'm supposed to go through the other side. He's telling this story, and I'm just thinking, that's hysterical. There is a guileless innocence in children sometimes. And you've seen it, right? You've seen those moments of just absolute playfulness where they've pieced together something in their world that makes no sense, maybe, you know, but it's fun to watch because they're willing to take the risk of putting themselves out there in some way, a raw kind of innocence that as you and I have grown up in the world, what have we learned not to do? We've learned not to risk. We've learned not to be playful. We've learned to get very stern and very serious with God and with one another, and with our children, maybe. Psychologists and therapists remind us that the life and world of a child actually depends on the world of their caregivers in dramatic ways. That's why the care of families and children is so absolutely important in the broader world and society. And it starts the moment that we're born. It starts the moment that you're born. I had the privilege of watching all of my children be born and have those early moments of just holding them or watching Stacy hold them. And there's something so beautiful in that moment because you peer into the eyes of that child and you begin to become a child yourself and you do what? You go, oh, oh, ooh, and you begin to coo and you're looking and you're staring and you're gazing and the child is clueless, but not. Psychologists tell us that the mirror neurons are firing as we gaze into their eyes with all of our nonverbal communication. And they're learning that it's okay to be here. And they're learning that the world is a place that they've now entered, that they must grow up into as adults like you, experimenting. In other words, they just simply experience what it's like to be held, to be seen, to be loved, to belong. And the whole of childhood is a growth in that process. 
And that's why the joys that we've experienced in our childhood are so meaningful and helpful to us as adults. And it's why the sorrows that we've experienced in childhood are so profoundly warping sometimes to some of us, people like me. Maybe what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's restoring the life of all of the people in that room that day. They say, you know what you need more than anything else? You've got all kinds of ideas about what it might mean for the kingdom of God or what you want God to do for you. But maybe what you need more than anything else is to reconnect with God as a heavenly father who delights in you, who loves you, who gazes into your eyes and says, I see you. I see your story. I know, Tuck, that in third grade, you were at the blackboard and you couldn't spell those words and you felt shame. I see you. You know what? I'm not like that teacher. I delight in you. Jesus is calling us into that kind of space through this really beautiful text. Psalm 131 is a favorite psalm of mine, and it's that psalm where David says, I'm not proud, my eyes are not haughty, I don't consider, concern, concern myself with matters too great for me, which always startles me because I think, you're a king. He said, instead, I have stilled and quieted my heart and soul like a weaned child on its mother's lap. Think about that for a minute. I don't think King David knew anything about neurobiology. But he had lived a life in which he had apparently seen enough things in the creation. A child with his mother, with her mother, sitting on the lap of her mother, satiated, fed, content, not scrambling around, but a child looking into his mother's eyes and knowing she'll be there tomorrow. She'll be there this afternoon if I need her. And he says, I want a life with God like that. That's the kind of life I want with God. Like that winged child, it's a beautiful, beautiful depiction of that which God longs to give us. Look, think for a minute. What are the hard parts of your life story? What are the tapes you play or the digital recordings. <laughs> I'm betraying my age. What are the, the sounds, the stories, the memories that you circle back to over and over again? What if you became like one of these little children playing around the feet of Jesus, crawling on his shoulders and saying, hold me, pick me up, carry me, seen by Jesus, soothed by his very presence, made safe because God is in fact with you, how would that change the way you love and risk in life? How would it change the conversation you have with a spouse or with a roommate or with a friend or with a colleague in the workplace tomorrow? How would it change the way you interact with your neighbor if you remembered that you are a child in the presence of a God who is not saying, I don't have time for you? He says, I welcome you. Jesus is not romanticizing childhood. He's urging us to assume the vulnerable and playful position 
of childlike presence in the presence of a father who delights in us. To wake up to the only way it's really possible to live in life, and that is knowing the delight of God. So the invitation to become like a child again. Now third, the blessing. Verse 16. So Jesus just very simply takes these children and he places his hands on them. Maybe he places his hands on their head and blesses them, or maybe he hugs them. Maybe he embraces them in some way that just is so happy that this child is in the world. But he blesses them. Two things. I think he hugs them. (laughs) I read that story and I think of the times when my children were younger and we'd leave them with a babysitter or someone and we'd go off on our little date or we'd go to some event at some thing we'd be responsible for and we'd, we'd come home and maybe they hadn't obeyed the babysitter <laughs> and they were still awake and you know what they wanted? They just wanted to be held. They wanted to come and run up and the inclination that you have is one of two things. It's either, why didn't you go to bed? Or maybe the inclination is that softer moment when you say, come here, buddy. Let me take you to bed. Because that's where you need to be right now. How does God react to you when you call his name and when you relate to him, when you pray, when you seek him? How do you need to be reminded that the relationship that you have with God is actually so incredibly secure? can't ever be taken away (sighs) when my son Tucker was 11 or 12 years old he's 24 now so I can tell the story here but not in Nashville where he lives but so when he was 11 or 12 years old he um, we were driving back from school we'd gone to pick him up We, we lived in West Philadelphia and He went to school out in the suburbs at a Christian school somewhere that we thought was a good idea at the time, um, except for the commute. And so here we are driving back into the city, and he says, hey, Dad, have you, you, do you know anything about Mischief Night? He's 11 or 12, right? Do you know anything about Mischief Night? And I'm like, I don't don't know what you're talking about, honestly. Like, is there a special holiday in Philadelphia called Mischief Night? No, he was talking about Halloween, which was the next day. And I realized what he was talking about, and he was talking about doing practical jokes in the neighborhood. And I said, hey, not a good idea. This is West Philadelphia, born and raised. You know, might not be good if you do some mischief in the neighborhood, Tucker. Let's not do that. So I think we've settled this matter. And we go on with the next, the rest of the night. We go into the next day. It's Halloween. It must have been on a Saturday because I'm doing what I normally do. I'm working on my sermon. So I'm sitting in my house, in my office, and I'm working on my sermon. And um, Tucker comes in about 4.30, comes into my office. He says, hey, Dad, can I I talk to you? I look up from my sermon. I said, sure. Talk away. He says, no, no, no. I need you to go into your bedroom. We need to go into your bedroom. In other words, we need to go into a space where I actually have your attention, right? This is an 11-year-old thinking stuff like this. I'm like, good grief. Who are you, kid? So I said, okay, this must be something serious. And running through my mind is, what has he done? Like, what is going on? So we go into the bedroom. He says, you know how you said I shouldn't do mischief night? I did it. 
I'm thinking, it's mischief afternoon, Tucker. Was that really smart? I don't know. I did it, and I got caught by a very angry neighbor. The neighbor had shamed him, made him take off his T-shirt and wipe the egg off the house. Tucker was terrified that the neighbor was going to come do some harm to us, to his family. Another neighbor had found him crying, and he said, hey, Tucker, go talk to your dad. Your dad will know what to do. Go talk to your dad. So Terry Tucker is talking to his dad, and we're having this conversation. And I think in this particular moment, thank you, Jesus, because now I can drive the point home. I can remind Tucker of how absolutely important it is to listen to your parents and obey their voice. And so I launch into that, and I just go, Tucker... I really don't know what to say to you. I don't know how to get this through to you. We talked about this. Is there anything else? And I'm throwing my hands up as if I'm exasperated. And Tucker says, Dad, I just need you to hug me. What would you do in that moment? I hugged him. And then we prayed together. And then we went out to the neighborhood and we made our apologies. What did he need? What did he want? He wanted to be reminded that all was well with our life together. I still belong. You're still my dad. I'm still your son. You love me. You'll be here tomorrow. It was a simple way of quietening and stilling his soul in the lap of God. I need you to hug me. In Mark, he tells us this amazing story of Jesus so that whatever image of God you have, it would be upended and turned over into the space of remarkable warmth. God loves you. And that's the whole reason that Jesus is here, to reveal the invisible God to us so that we see what he's really like. And we're not just hearing people talk about him, but we're visibly and we experientially relate to this God. And Jesus tells us, we prayed the Lord's Prayer just a few minutes ago where you said, our Father. Is he warm or is he like me? I just don't know what to do with you. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Let them piggyback on my life with the Father. Let them delight in the Father who delights in them. So what was your childhood like? Some of you are rehearsing those memories maybe even now. I wasn't hugged enough. I was encountered some form of abuse, or even your memories, if they're good, you still have those moments where you go back to some painful part of your own identity. What was it like for you? Jesus doesn't leave any of us with the childhoods that we've inherited. He doesn't. He says, come to me and let me bless you. Let me bring you into the blessing of this kind of a life with God who delights in you so that now you might inhabit the world as one blessed and so you bless. 
I wonder if the whole point of this little episode isn't to take us further in to the reality of a God who loves us without exception, who's never waiting for you to get it right before he loves you, who's not waiting there with a lecture when you get home or you're confessing your sin yet again, and it just happens to be the same things you confessed last week. That's not how God is. He stretches out his arms in the person of Jesus and he embraces you. Jesus has come to restore us to greatness, a greatness that begins in our childlike life with God, to bring us into the surprising space of change through a life that is absolutely and beautifully reconnected with God. So as you go out of here this afternoon, what would it be like if you remembered that you are the child that he has blessed, that you would live in your everyday world differently, in his likeness, an oblation, an offering to your neighbors, your spouse, your children, the least of these. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we have a hard time being children because so many things in our world, even sometimes our parents, demand that we just grow up and act like grown-ups. But you call us to act like children. So would you restore us? Would you restore us so that we are more in the likeness of Jesus and we remember that you delight in us so we'd become playful again and we'd be willing to take the hard risks of love and life in a world like ours. Meet us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen.